All right, so we are back in Romans, Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. Uh, big passage tonight, uh, but we're going to tackle the entirety of it. Chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. Please turn there in your Bibles, if you would, and follow along as I read aloud. Romans 7, verses 14 through 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. Sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. All right, a lot in that passage. Let me uh, me pray for God's grace as we need it. Lord, we ask indeed for your grace. Lord, I pray that your grace would be upon me. Lord, that I would speak only your truth. Lord, that we would see you more clearly. We would see your love and your grace. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit would convict us. I pray you'd give us understanding. I pray your truth would be made known. I pray you'd be glorified and that we would worship you in this time. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we've been going through the book of Romans, uh, verse by verse, we now find ourselves encountering one of the most highly debated passages in all of Scripture. Uh, certainly in all of Romans. All right, but this, this passage has been debated uh, throughout time uh, and still today. And the debate with this passage is not, uh, when you're looking at the different sides, is, oh, well, is this side theologically true, or is this side theologically true? Uh, but rather, the, the debate is more, well, what is Paul intending to say here in this context? Most of the sides and what people believe in this passage are true biblically in other places in Scripture. But the question is, well, what is Paul's intention here? In this context, when he's talking about this. And so there there are a lot of layers of questions. We're not going to get into all the different sides and stuff, but I want to at least present some uh, before we we tackle this passage. Okay, The the first layer of questions is, is Paul talking about a Christian or is he talking about a non-Christian? That's that's the first layer that, that we need to decide on. You have some who believe that he's talking about Paul the Pharisee, as in Paul the the non-Christian, that he's talking about his former self. 
before he was saved, before he was a Christian, when he was a Pharisee, when he was Paul the Pharisee, this is what he's talking about. That he wants to follow the law. That he wants to keep it as a Pharisee. But he can't. He wants to keep the law so badly, but he just can't do it. That he wants salvation to come through the law, but he fails. Okay, let me read verses 18 and 19. I won't read the whole passage, but let me just read a couple of verses. And keep that in mind. Think about it from the perspective of Paul the Pharisee wanting to keep the law for his salvation but unable to do so. Verse 18 and 19. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So you hear it in there. You have others who believe that he's talking about Paul the Christian. That he's talking about present day Paul, as in like, well, as he's writing this, like now the converted Christian Paul. And he's talking about his struggle with sin. That he is indeed a Christian, but he has this struggle with sin. So now listen to it from that perspective. The same two verses, but listen to it from the perspective of Paul's a Christian struggling with sin. 18 and 19. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want. Is what I keep on doing. See, it makes sense there too. You, you, you can hear it either way. So the question, the first question is, well, who is the man in this verse? Or in these verses, in this passage? Is it Paul the Pharisee or is it Paul the Christian? And there are strong arguments to both sides, okay? I, I have wrestled with this for many, many months. Anticipating I'm going to have to get here at some point. And I've been going back and forth and back and forth of uh, who is he speaking of? And I read great people that say, Paul the Pharisee. And I read great people that say, Paul the Christian. And I'm like, you both sound really good. If you were to ask me a year ago, Luke, who do you believe it is here? Paul the Pharisee or Paul the Christian in Romans 7? I would say Paul the Pharisee, the unsaved Paul. But if you ask me today... <laughs> I say that the man in Romans 7 is the saved man. That is Paul, the Christian. Okay, so in my studies, I have changed what I believe it is talking about. And so I want to approach this text with great humility, knowing that those who believe Paul is talking about the unsaved man, the Paul the Pharisee, they have very strong points. And I know that I may be wrong in my interpretation in saying that it's Paul the Christian. But through my studies, I, I am convinced that he's talking about Paul the Christian and the Christians fight and struggle against sin, uh, which maybe is, is how you guys read it initially, just, just reading it plainly. But I'll say this, as I said earlier, both are biblically true, okay? No matter what, which, which side you land on, okay? You can support Paul the Pharisee. It's true that a person cannot keep the law and earn salvation through the law, right? Like, yes, that's true. We see that throughout all scripture. You can also support Paul the Christian. It's true that the Christian still struggles with sin, right? Yes. So either way, both are theologically true and supported by scripture. But the debate is, well, what is Paul saying here in this passage? Okay, I know that's, it's very heady. I understand that. Uh, but it's important that we do our due diligence to understand scripture correctly. 
So I'm going with Paul the Christian. And even after you decide that Paul's talking about the Christian, Paul the Christian, there's still a debate on what it is that that looks like. Some believe he's talking about what's called a carnal Christian or an immature Christian who is in defeat and needs victory through the power of the Holy Spirit. That says, like, th these people would say, well, there's no way a, a, a strong Christian would talk like this. So this person just needs to get out of Romans 7 and go into Romans 8 and be led and, and filled by the Holy Spirit. Some other people believe he's talking about uh, just kind of in between unregenerate and regenerate, that, that, that they've been awakened to their inability to keep the law, but they've not yet received life through the Holy Spirit. I don't believe either of those two is what he's talking about. I believe what Paul's talking about here is the mature Christian. That is actually the mature Christian who wrestles and is in deep agony of his own sin. Paul is talking about his own personal experience here, right now, as an apostle. In fact, he uses the first person singular as well as the present tense. I don't believe he's talking about the past. But he's talking about right now, this, these are my struggles. So here we see a glimpse of Paul's intense wrestle and agony of his own sin. And we've seen similar statements elsewhere in Scripture, right? Maybe you think of when he says things like, I'm the least of all the apostles, or I'm the least of all saints. Or he says what? I'm the chief of sinners. I believe as Paul grew in his Christian walk, because he did, that he grew in his understanding of how wretched of a sinner he was. And here we get an in-depth view of Paul's inner turmoil with the sin that resides within him. So tonight, we're going to look at the battle within, and then we're going to look at the victory that's been won. All right? So our first section, the battle within, we see verses 14 through 23. That's a big chunk here. We're going to look at a few aspects here. The first is the mature Christian knows his insufficiencies. The mature Christian knows his insufficiencies. Vandy, can you follow up, please? Thank you. The mature Christian knows his insufficiencies, okay? Part of maturing in Christ is knowing how fully dependent you are on God and how utterly helpless you are apart from him. You, you cannot mature in Christ and be characterized by pride. Paul recognizes two different kinds of insufficiencies we're going to look at. The person's insufficiency to keep God's standards of righteousness and the person's insufficiency to fight one's own sin on his own strength. Okay, so first, we, we cannot keep God's standards of righteousness. Look at what Paul says in, in verse 14 and 15. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. See, Paul knows he cannot keep the law. In fact, this whole passage, really the whole passage is just dripping in his insufficiency to do so. Like, I can't do it. There's no false sense of self-righteousness here. But he knows he's not righteous. He knows he falls short of God's standards. See, it is the immature Christian. It is the legalistic Christian who believes himself to have done pretty good in regard to God's law. 
that when they see God's law, they feel like they can get pretty close to completing it. And maybe they admit, they're like, yeah, look, I know that no one's perfect. I know I'm not perfect. But they're pretty confident that they're as close as they come. It's the mature Christian who sees he has greatly fallen short of God's standards. And when faced with God's law, they know, I have no chance to keep that. In fact, the more we grow in our understanding of God and the closer we get to God, the greater we naturally see the grotesqueness of the sin that still remains. There is a clear understanding and an acceptance that we don't come close to God's standards. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about having an obsessive, low self-esteem about yourself. Oh, I'm just the worst. Look how horrible I am, all this. No, no, no. In some ways, that may be more prideful than it is humble. But I'm talking about having a real and true understanding of how we are totally unable to keep God's standard of righteousness. I wanted to say that like John Piper. We are totally unable. That's how he said it. It almost came out. Okay, so we cannot keep God's standards of righteousness. And we also cannot fight our own sin on our own strength. I think it's typical for us, I, I think especially in our American culture, to believe we can do it on our own. We got this. That if we work hard enough, if we're dedicated enough, if we pick ourselves up from our own bootstraps, we can do whatever we put our mind to. And sadly, many churches in America just feed right into this. And they'll give a self-help message that says you have the strength to fix your problem. They fall into this false belief that you can do anything you want as long as you claim it to be yours. You see, Paul recognizes there is no good within himself. He can't do it. Look at verse 18. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. This is the inward battle here. Where Paul is a new creation. He has new desires to stop sinning and to live for God instead. But sin still resides in his flesh. And because of that, he cannot do what he wants to do. Not on his own. He's not saying he's completely incapable of doing any good and of living for Christ. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying that he's weak on his own. He has the desire to do what is right, but he doesn't have the ability to carry it out. Do you see the frustration? You see the awareness of one's inabilities? <laughs> like... Do you relate to that at all, Christian? Like, I, that's what I want. All I want to do is live for Christ. That's my greatest desire. That's my ultimate goal in everything I do. I want to honor God in everything. That, that, there's nothing I want more than that, than to live for the glory of Christ. But I can't because I'm weak. I don't have the ability to carry that out. Do you see how much we need him? We are nothing apart from Christ. We need his strength. And we share in his victories. See, we all, we all know that we need him in our justification, right? Like we all know, like, yes, I know I'm saved by grace. I need him to be saved. I know that. But don't forget, you need him in our sanctification too. It does not stop. 
Just like what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. He says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's like, dude, you know you were started by the Spirit. Like, so what, you are like, you just think now you can just, by good works, like make yourself right and, and be perfected and sanctified without the Spirit? No. Don't be foolish, he says. You need God for both. You need him for your justification, your sanctification, and for your glorification. You need him for it all. And every Christian, the good news is that every Christian does have the Holy Spirit living inside them. And it is the Spirit who strengthens us and fights the remaining residue of our earthly sinful bodies. So don't rely on schemes or recipes or to-do lists or whatever it is to fight your sin. It's not in you. We need him living inside us to strengthen us in our weakness. Secondly, we see that the mature Christian hates his sin. It's already up there. Let's do one at a time. I like the anticipation thing. Okay? You already got a spoiler. There you go. The mature Christian hates his sin, okay? The mature Christian is deeply troubled by his own sin. As the Christian matures, as he grows in his understanding of God's great holiness and God's goodness, he then becomes deeply grieved by his own sinfulness. I mean, how can we not? The more of a clear picture you have of who God is, the more of a clear picture you have of your own sinfulness. Take, for example, the story of Peter. Oh, man, I love that scene. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, because I haven't said it yet. Let me tell you. When Je- I, Jesus has him, right? He, he, they haven't met yet. And, and Jesus says, hey, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And what happened? All these fish start coming in. And they're filling it up. And the nets are starting to break. And what? all the fish, it fills two boats. And even both boats start to sink. And what did Peter say? What? He falls to his knees and he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He's like, what just happened? He just saw a glimpse of the glory of God. And he said, what am I doing? Like, depart from me. I can't even be near you. He falls on his knees and he just goes, I'm a wretched sinner. You see, because he got that close to God. And so in light of that, he sees his own sinfulness. And this is when he was not even a Christian yet, let alone a mature Christian. But he could see the power of God through Jesus Christ. And as a result, he was humbled. And he knew his own sinfulness. Take, for example, Isaiah. A prophet of God. When in the presence of God, what does he say? Woe is me. He says, hey, I should be dead. For I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, a prophet of God. Or Job, when he's confronted by God, right at the end of the book of Job, he's confronted by God. He says, therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Like, you see, like, how can we stand in the presence of God and feel good about ourselves? We can't. The greater we understand the truth of God, the greater we understand our own sin. But it does not just end With understanding your sin, a true Christian will begin to hate that sin. Not just understanding it, not just acknowledging it, but hating it. If you are a Christian, 
as you grow, as you mature in Christ, your hatred for sin grows more and more. Because God and sin are completely opposed to one another. And so as as your love for God grows, how can you still love what is in direct opposition to him? Who is your greatest love? You love God, but then you love sin, which is opposed to him? Like, that doesn't make sense. They're not parallel paths here. They contradict one another. So I ask you, if you're here and you claim to be a Christian, I ask you, how is it that you view your sin? How is it you view your sin? There ought to be a deep grievance towards your own sin. Do you grieve over your sin? Or is sin not a big deal? Because for the most part, you live a pretty good life. Do you just brush it off? Yeah, it's sin. Not a big deal. Are you apathetic towards your sin? I don't really need it. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to address it. Let it never be, but instead have a zeal or or, or, or a a real hatred and grievance towards your own sin. That you say, I want nothing more to do with the sin. Let your prayer be, God, if there is any sin in me, which there is, purge it out of me. I do not want this. There ought to be a grievance towards your sin. And there ought to be a stronger, I think, sensitivity towards your own sin. See, the enemy seeks to do the opposite. The enemy seeks to desensitize us to sin. That we would maybe compromise for sin. That we would slowly be okay and accepting of our sin. What God calls good, what the world calls evil. And what God calls evil, the world calls good. And the enemy seeks for us to blur those lines. And for us to give a little here and to take a little here. You know, in some ways, I think our, our, our younger generations in general can be overly sensitive and easily offended, maybe in ways that they shouldn't. But you ought to be offended by sin. That ought to offend you because sin goes against our God and seeks to rob him of his glory. And that's worth being offended about. You know, I, I, I shared this a long time ago. If you're in high school, maybe you heard this. Staff, maybe. When I was in junior high. I was teaching in junior high, not in junior high. When I was in high school, there, I, I used to watch this show. And I thought it was just the funniest show. I thought it was the best. You know, I watched every episode. And every once in a while, they, they would, you know, they do like these little, I don't know, things. I don't know what you call it. But they just like do little story things. And every once in a while, they, they, they would make fun of Jesus. And they'd have like, like a little Jesus character or something. He says something and it makes fun of whatever, you know, his truths, what he did and stuff. And, and I didn't care at all. I thought it was funny. And I was a Christian at the time. But I was like, oh, man, it's so funny. I just love that show. And, and Jesus would come on. He'd do his thing. And I just think it's so funny. I stopped watching it, whatever, I watched all the episodes, and then when I was in college, the Lord grew me some by that time. I went back and I watched it, and I couldn't believe it. I went back and I saw it, and I couldn't believe that I once watched it. Like, I couldn't take any part of it again. I remember watching it and, and saying, how dare you make fun of my Savior like that? How dare you minimize him like that? 
and insult him. Like that insulted me. That offended me. Don't talk about my Jesus like that. And I hated it. Be offended. Be sensitive in the things against God. Especially the ones that are directly against him. And especially your own sin. Be offended by your sin. Be sensitive to your sin. Don't be desensitized. But say, man, I don't like this. Now, there also ought to be a desire to fight this sin now. To not be content with just leaving the sin within. But there ought to be a strong desire to rid yourself of this sin. Remember, the Christian is no longer an Adam. Remember we talked about that, being an Adam and being in Christ? The Christian is no longer an Adam, but is in Christ now, and therefore has a new nature in him. And this new nature, given by the Holy Spirit, now has a desire to be conformed into the image of Christ. This new nature is, is not content with just sitting idly by, but instead actively fights in this battle of sin. Do you fight? In this battle? Are you active in mortifying your sin? Are you, are you active in ridding yourself and disposing your sin? I mean, what does that look like? What does that actually look like? What does that practically mean in your life to rid yourself, to dispose yourself of the sin? Because there's one thing to say here at youth group. It's one thing to go into these discussion groups and say, yeah, you're right, guys. I got, I got to get rid of this sin. Yeah, I've been struggling. I got to get rid of it. But it's another thing to practice it every day in the secret of your own life. What does it actually look like? Do you actually fight your sin? Or do you just talk about fighting your sin? See, the mature Christian hates his sin. Not just that, though, but next, the mature Christian desires to obey God. So next we see the mature Christian desires to obey God. Yeah, yeah. the mature Christian desires to obey God. My man back there, thank you. We've talked about this many times before, that in the Christian walk, there must always be what? A put off, but not just that, but a put on. Right? A put off and a put on. And as the Christian grows, he hates his sin. He actively puts it off. But in the same way, as the Christian grows, he actively puts on obedience to God. This hatred towards sin, it doesn't just stop there at a hatred. But what? It leads to repentance. And true repentance is a deep hatred of our sin that is made evident by our newfound obedience to God's word. It's the other side of the coin. One side is the hatred of sin, and the other side is the zeal for obedience to God. Look at verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. See, Paul agrees that the law is indeed good, and he desires to keep the law. Now, remember, this is in context. It's been a couple weeks since we've been in Romans 7. But it's in the context of Paul talking about the law. Right? First, the first six verses or so, he said that Christian is the Christian is no longer bound by the law, right? But what? Is now bound to Christ. Remember the example of marriage? And he's like, yeah, you're not bound to the law anymore. Now you're bound to Christ. And then he goes on to say, well, look, that doesn't mean that the law is bad. In fact, the law is good and it serves 
a good purpose. And now he continues to talk about the law in its good purpose and in saying that he agrees with the law, that it is good, that the Christian should desire to live according to God's law. Now here at youth group, I, I try to be careful of not creating Pharisees, not just preaching, yeah, do this, do this, do this. And so you feel like that, that you need to do all these stuff. And there should be a great sensitivity of not living a self-righteous life, right? So we should be sensitive to that. I don't want for a bunch of Pharisees to leave TYG. But do not let that create a hatred towards obedience of God's law, do you see? Or don't let that create a hesitancy to obey God's law. God's law is good, and the Christian desires to obey him. It's good. It is good to obey God, right? We know this, I hope. And as the Christian grows and matures, he sees the law in a different light. Right? It's no longer something that you oppose, like we looked at earlier in Romans. It's not something that you want to keep to make yourself right before God, like we looked at earlier in Romans. It's no longer a burden in your life. Oh, I have to keep the law. No, instead, it is a desire. And it's a joy to live for him. Look at what he says in verse 22. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. He delights. In his inner man, the depths of his new nature, he delights in the law of God. Can you say that, Christian? Can you say that you delight in the law of God? Not just that you're okay with God's law. And, and, or, or not just that you agree with it. I bet most people here, maybe not all, probably most would say, I agree with God's law. I'm good with God's law. But I'm, that's not what I'm asking. I'm saying, do you delight? In it. You delight in God's law. Why would we delight in God's law? Because we know that living in obedience to God honors and glorifies Him. Like, what else do you need? Do you not find delight in that? Christian, is there no greater motivation to live in obedience than to know that it glorifies God? I mean, that's all I want in my life is to glorify Him. How do I do that? God, what are the marching orders? You tell me the marching orders. Just let me know and ask what I want to do. What are they? Here it is. His word. Okay, then I delight in this. If this is what glorifies you, then that's what I want. I delight in living in obedience to you, God. You see, maturing in Christ is not just hating sin. It's not just agreeing with God's law. So yeah, I agree with that. But it's delighting in his law. And actually living by his law. See, true repentance, a true hatred towards sin, a true desire to obey God results in change. A change to one's life. And it requires making necessary changes to your life. You cannot say that you repent and then live the same. That's not repentance. Repentance is a joyful sacrifice in one's life caused by the desire to live for the glory of God. Do you have a desire for the glory of God? Do you have a desire to live in obedience to Him? As the Christian matures in God, he, his desires begin to change. And they begin to become more in line with God's will. Christian, are your desires his desires? 
Are they in line? Now, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. There is inner turmoil. Is there not? There's an inward battle. Look at what Paul says. He keeps going. Verse 23. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul's talking about this battle within himself. It's not that Paul, that, oh, he's not genuinely saved here. It's not that Paul, he's going back and forth between being saved and not being saved. Like, oh, he is a Christian, but now he's not because he's sinning. No, his point is that as long as he remains in his fleshly body, he will remain vulnerable to sin and temptation. There will be this inward battle. That's why he gets to verse 24. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Which brings us to our next major point, the victory won, verses 24 and 25. We'll look at two points here. The first is the mature Christian seeks deliverance. Okay, so we see the victory won, and first, the mature Christian seeks deliverance. The Christian, being a new creation in Christ, does have complete victory over sin through Christ. But that does not mean that sin does not still contaminate the life of a Christian, you see. The residue of sin remains. Sin no longer has dominion or rule or authority over the Christian. Those chains were broken at Calvary. But the residue and the effects of the sinful flesh, that still remains. And this is the frustration that Paul feels. Paul longs for the day when he will be completely delivered from this old, sinful, stained, mortal body. Have you felt this? Do you long for the residing effects of your flesh to be gone? Christian, have that desire. That's a good desire. But at the same time, we, we must balance that, okay? In that desire... Do not become overwhelmed with the battle. Do not become distraught. The Christian life is a struggle. It is a journey. Sometimes we we just want to know, well, what's the magical formula for me to get rid of the sin? How do I get rid of the struggle with blank? Like, just tell me what to do. Like, just get it out of here. The Christian life is not about a magical formula. It's not about a five-step process to perfection. The expectation should not be that the Christian life is just that. It's an easy, carefree life. No problem. No, it's a hard life. The struggle with sin should be hard. In fact, when there is no struggle, there should be concern. Sometimes it is the struggle that God uses to sanctify us. It is the struggle that we need to bring us to our knees and to remind us of our dependence on God. We struggle. We ought to rely on God to be our deliverer. See what I'm saying? That in our struggle, we ought to rely on God to be our deliverer. That's what brings Paul to ask for deliverance in verse 24. When he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And what is it that we're being delivered from? He says, from this body of death. 
That's where he's seeking deliverance from. What's he getting at here? Well, the question now, he's changes to the future tense. Paul's seeking deliverance of something that he has not yet experienced, okay, in the future. Something that he will experience. He's not asking for deliverance from the dominion and rule and authority of sin. Remember, that's been dealt with. He's asking for deliverance from the very presence of sin that's still in his life. His cry is that he will no longer have this sin anymore. He wants it, God, deliver me from this. Do you share in this cry? Do you seek deliverance from the very presence of sin in your life? Sometimes God gives us victory over the sins in this life. And sometimes we struggle with these sins our whole life. But do not be distraught, Christian, for there is final victory to come. It is a guarantee and it is a promise to all Christians that we have victory in Jesus Christ. And that's our last point that we'll look at tonight, that the mature Christian has victory in Christ. The mature Christian has victory in Christ. Now, it's not to say that an immature Christian doesn't have victory in Christ. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. Every Christian, mature or immature, has complete victory in Christ. Okay, There's not this second tier or the second stage of Christianity. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that the mature Christian, I'm saying the, the, the one who feels as if all he does is sin. Do not grow discouraged, but know that there is victory in Christ. Yes, the struggle with sin is real. Yes, the road is difficult. But it's not a dead-end road. It's not a sorrowful ending. It's a victorious and a glorious ending, Christian. Sometimes as as we have a greater understanding of, of our own sin, we can lose sight of the victory that's already been won in Jesus Christ. But remember, there is victory in Jesus. See, Paul's question in verse 24 is future tense, like we said. Therefore, what? His answer and response in verse 25 is also future tense. And what's his response? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, while we have been saved from our sin, while we are being saved from our sin, we will be saved, completely delivered from our sin. While this battle is tough, The outcome has already been decided. It is certain we have victory in Jesus Christ. The victory is ours. We share in our union with Christ. No matter how bad the sin may feel right now, no matter the depths of your struggle, Christian, do not despair. You will be delivered. You have victory in Christ. We've already experienced some of that victory now. But have not yet seen it all. It's a foretaste. It's a sample. A first fruit of what is to come. And so we long. We long for the day when our victory in Christ is consummated and made complete. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep But we shall all be changed in a moment and the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. And he goes on to say, 
The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the sinful body that we still live in, it will be put away with. And one day we will be completely without sin if you are Jesus Christ. Is that... Do you, do you understand like how glorious that is? Like I hate sin so much. Sin ruins everything. But if you are in Christ, you will be in the presence of God and you will have a new resurrected body and you will be without sin. Your body will be without sin. You will live in the new heavens and the new earth which will be without sin. And we will see the final consummation and we will see the complete victory. In Jesus Christ. Oh, how I long for that day. Are there struggles in this world? Are there real difficulties we face? Yes. But oh man, as Paul will say later in the next chapter, that it's not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. So have hope, Christian. Have hope in the future victory that has already been won in Jesus Christ. So we close tonight. We ask, what does it look like to mature in Christ? What does it look like to mature in Christ? What does it look like to grow in your maturity in Him? How do you become aware of this? Is it by becoming aware of how good you've become? Or is it by becoming more aware of how sinful you really are and how desperately you need the power of the Holy Spirit and how desperately you need the grace of God? I think it's the latter. I believe what this passage tells us is that we mature in the Christian life. As we mature in the Christian life, as we grow closer to Christ and and grow in our understanding of who he is and what he's done, our struggle with sin does not weaken but rather our struggle with sin grows stronger because we begin to hate it more, you see. Now, do we grow? Does God grow us and give us victories over sin? Yes. So we do see a change. But we also see more of our own sin. The one who is in desperate struggle with their sin, that's not the weak Christian. I think the one in the desperate struggle with their sin, that's the mature Christian. The mature Christian is the one who knows his insufficiencies, who hates his sin, who desires to obey God instead, who seeks the deliverance, and who indeed has victory in Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian here today, I ask you, how do you deal with your sin? Christian, how do you deal with your sin? I leave you, I challenge you in these ways. First, know that you cannot fight sin on your own. That you need the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to fight your sin. Now, I'm not saying that you become passive in your battle. And you say, okay, yeah, Holy Spirit's going to take care of it. But that you fight dependent on God. Secondly, hate your sin. Hate it, Christian. Don't get used to it. Don't let it make a nice little home in your life. Be disgusted at your sin. When you lose that disgust, when you lose that hatred, when when you become numb to it, that's when there's reason for concern. 
Have hatred of your sin. Thirdly, delight in the law. Desire to obey God. Desire to obey him. And let your desire for God's glory be stronger than your desire to sin. Is there still desire to sin at times? Oh, yeah. But let your desire for the glory of God be stronger. Fourthly, seek deliverance. Don't be content with the sin in your life, Christian, but seek deliverance and long for the day in which you'll sin no more. And lastly, for the Christian, have confidence in the victory that has been won in Jesus Christ. Don't grow weary, Christian. Know that the victory already belongs to him. And if you are in Christ, you share in his victory. Do not be distraught. Do not be weary. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, most of what we talked about tonight does not apply to you. But my challenge to you is still similar, non-Christian. And that is this. If you're not a Christian, listen. How do you view your sin? I still challenge you with that. How do you view your sin? Do you view it as, oh, yeah, this is, these are a bunch of things I get to do that Christians don't get to do? Do you view your sin as not a big deal? Ah, that's not a big deal. Or I don't really care about it. I hope you understand, non Christian, that your sin has caused division, has caused hostility and alienation between you and God. And there's no greater problem that you ever face here on this earth than the state you are in right now. And that is separation from God. Bound to your sin. Guilty before a holy and just God alone in your defense. And destined to eternal wrath. My prayer is that God would awaken your soul to see your need for Christ. you feel even just a little tug of your heart don't ignore that don't ignore that but ask that God would grant you the faith to believe and that genuine repentance of your sins would follow come to Christ who is your hope and let us all see the depths of our sins and the greatness of God's grace as we close I'll do this every once in a while I want to just give some time for you to pray silently pray silently if you're a Christian maybe there are sins that you know that you struggle bring that to the Lord ask for deliverance ask for help, ask for strength confess it to the Lord maybe there's sins that's grown numb in your life Christian confess that to the Lord and if you are not in Christ, I ask you to consider. Consider Christ and your great need for him. I right, spend a couple minutes of silent prayer and I'll close this in prayer.